Anything Ghost, number 287. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. This is the Anything Ghost number 287 Halloween Hangover episode. Yes, pat yourself on the back for your continued enthusiasm in ghost stories, even as we approach November and December. And doing so while the rest of the world settles back into whatever else goes on in life. I'll be sharing some ghost stories of old and of new to help you recover from that Halloween hangover and bring you back to the reality that ghost stories aren't just an end of October, jack-o'-lantern, trick-or-treat, scary movie thing, but a lifelong interest that you've always had building inside of you. So make yourself some popcorn, make yourself comfortable, and make yourself listen to Anything Ghost number 287. We're going to start number 287 off with a story that will be appreciated most by seeing the corresponding photos. I'll have them posted at anythingghost.com. They'll be under this episode, number 287. The story is from David in Missouri. Hands across the walls. I just moved into my new apartment August 1st of this year. It's an old apartment building but has been renovated rather nicely. One night, as I lay asleep in bed, I was awakened by a huge crash. I jumped out of bed, looked around, and saw nothing was out of place or fallen. But sleepy, I got out of bed and walked across the hall to the bathroom. When I got back, I flipped on my light to see what, if anything, had indeed fallen. But I saw nothing. Then I started to lie back down and looked across the room. On the wall was some kind of strange-looking handprint. It looked like someone with a wet hand had touched the wall. Of course I flipped out, but unable to do anything about it except snap a few photos, I eventually went back to sleep. The next morning it was gone, no trace of it anywhere. Fast forward a week or so, again I was asleep, and was awakened by the same crash sound. I was horrified. I got up, hustled to the bathroom, calmed myself down, and walked back to my bedroom. Scared, I looked around, but to my relief there was nothing on the wall. Thank goodness. I turned to go to bed, and there I saw another handprint mark right beside my headboard. I screamed and left the building for the night. I came back the next morning and the strange mark was gone. At that point, I called my mom, who is super spiritual, to come over. She determined that indeed 
Something was in my house. I asked her not to mess with it and just to leave it alone. I kind of have a policy of don't disturb it if it's not physically harming you type of deal. I didn't want to make this worse. After a little back and forth, my mom finally agreed to leave it alone and we sat down on my couch for an evening conversation. As we sat there, we heard what sounded like a voice coming from my bedroom. My eyes got huge and my mom looked right at me. Then she asked me if I was sure I didn't want her to do anything about it. Needless to say, my mom did some blessings to keep the house safe and put oil above all my windows and doors. Since then, there have been no disturbances. And again, I'll have those photos for this posted at anythingghost.com under episode number 287. All right, carrying on now with a story from six-year-old Signe in the U.S., and she'll be telling her own story. Hi, Lex. My name is Signe. I'm six years old, and I have four stories, but I'm only going to share two. Me and my dad love your show. We even joined the VIP group. My house is like 100 years old. My dad told me that. So I'm going to share my first story. I have a walk-in closet where I get changed. So I am in my closet changing for the night because I'm going to bed. And there's a tapping on my closet door. I get scared. And I check to see if anyone was there. And it seems like no one's there. So I get changed and don't want to go in my closet for bedtime but of course I have to so that's my first story next is my second story and it's happened a lot to me I'm upstairs and there's footsteps and then I'm like oh someone coming upstairs because I have like a lot of people and then no one's there and I'm like okay it's not scary but it's like surprising So those are my two stories. Take care. Thank you, Signe, and I hope you and your dad are enjoying the Anything Ghost VIP group. If you're wondering what that is, Anything Ghost has been around since 2006. There's 15 years of Anything Ghost stories. Stories like many years ago, Laura's doppelganger ghost in New York, her haunted apartment story. And there's so many more great stories like that. You'll be hearing Laura's story later in this show. So go take a look at the Anything Goes VIP group, www.anythinggoes.com. Become VIP. And this is a little article I found, and it's from 1886 in Chicago. Killingworth's Haunted House, New Haven, Connecticut, February 23rd. Killingworth's residents are excited over a story that an old house in the town built in the last century, is haunted. Many years ago, a Mrs. Higgins killed her three children in the house. Her spirit is said to haunt the dwelling, and so firmly is this believed by many that the property has been tenantless for years. Occasionally people move in, but they do not remain there long. 
And I was going to look into more information about that house. If I find any more information, I'll share it in the next episode of Anything Ghost. And as I said at the beginning, I'm going to share stories of old and of new. Well, here's another old one. This one's from 1878, a haunted house in Brooklyn, New York. About 7 o'clock last evening, an officer attached to the 1st Precinct in Brooklyn had his attention attracted by a group of excited persons standing outside the door of number 112 Willoughby Street. Inquiring if any disturbance had taken place, he was informed by some of the women, who evidently very much were frightened, that a ghost had been haunting the house for some time, and that he had taken that evening and thrown all the beds in the house on the tile floor. The officer's informants claimed that mysterious taps and loud knocking had been heard for some weeks back, and some people in the house had seen shadowy forms flitting in and out of rooms at various hours of the night. The house is occupied by Mrs. Keeler, an old lady, and by Mrs. Smith, who has several daughters. There are several young men boarding in the house, and among them, one Rothermel, a barber, who created a sensation some time ago by disappearing. Mrs. Smith, mentioned before, is the widow of a fairy hand who drowned about two months ago. The frightened inmates of the house, or at least some of them, claim that Smith's ghost haunts the place. The officer, on going through the house, was shown several rooms in which the beds were all made up during the day. At about seven o'clock, the mattresses were found on the floors of several of the bedrooms. The beds were again made up, but a few minutes later, a noise was heard throughout the house, and on visiting the bedrooms, it was discovered that the mattresses were again thrown on the floors. The officer was cynical enough to express the belief that some of the boarders may have been playing practical jokes, and that there was a question of rent involved. It is certain, however, that several of the inmates of the house firmly believe it is haunted. And here's yet another old story. This one's from December of 1875. A haunted house in Scarborough, Maine. A correspondent of the Portland Press, writing from Scarborough, Maine, finishes the following account of a haunted house in that town. The house is situated on a small farm about two and a half miles from Dunstan Corner in the vicinity of Beach Ridge. It was owned and occupied some ten years ago by an Irishman by the name of John Finard. He died and was buried upon the place. The farm was then sold to pay unlawful demands against the farm. Last spring, the farm was bought by a man by the name of Johnson, who, with his wife and his wife's father, have lived upon it until within a few days ago. The statement that all three make is that from the time they moved upon the place until they left, there was not a night but mysterious sounds and lights were seen or heard in some part of the house. Sometimes, crossed hands upon the wall surrounded by a circle of light would appear. Then they would disappear, and doors would commence to open and shut, and latches would rattle. Then there would be sounds like water boiling over upon the stove, 
and then this would stop, and whisperings in different parts of the house would be audible. Then the stove would shake, and the stove covers rattle, and figures of a person of full size dressed in white, in full sight, and without eyes or nose, would travel about the room. Some nights it would appear just as soon as the family retired, and they would get up and sit up all night, and the sounds and sights would continue all night. Even in the daytime they would appear. Mrs. Johnson was at work one day in the kitchen, when all at once something passed the window. At the same time the dog growled, and started out the door, and commenced to snuff the air and bark. She started out of the doors, and went all around the house, but could not see nor hear anything. You know what I'm thankful for right now? That I made it to level 2100 of Best Fiends. Best Fiends, that's friends without the R, Best Fiends, is a free-to-download Match 3 mobile puzzle game that I just love to play. I hope you don't think I sound like a turkey saying that, but it's true. Since last I talked to you, I have beat the stuffings out of the slugs. Slugs are evil characters in Best Fiends that try to keep you from attaining your goal of reaching Mount Boom. And they do a pretty good job, except that the fiends are there to help you beat the slugs. Fiends are colorful, personality-filled characters who have amazing blasting special powers that help you along your journey to Mount Boom. I just can't stop playing Best Fiends. And another nice thing is that if you don't have Wi-Fi where you're at, that's not a problem. You can play Best Fiends in offline mode. As I said, I reached level 2100, which has me in the colorful and active cityscape land of Might City. It took some doing to get to Might City, but I'm not done yet. I can see the top of Mount Boom, my destination, on the horizon. Come on, fiends. We have work to do. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, I have one more of the old stories to share. And this one's from 1894. And it's from France. It come, the story comes from London, but it's about a haunted house in Arcade. A haunted house at Arcay, our correspondent in Paris says, is now interesting French police. Its tenant says he has been there for a whole month and tormented with noises for which he can assign no material or other cause. A week after they began, he made a complaint to the commissioner of the police of the district. This is what he said in writing. For eight days and nights... My windows have been broken as if bullets have been fired at them. The holes made are as if pierced by balls of rifles of the new model, or rather by rifles of a still unknown model. They are cutting through the glass without otherwise breaking it. I have not found any projectiles and can only speak of effects without going into causes. This is not all. Every room in the house is noisy both day and night, with cries and groans and howlings. As a result, Commissioner of the Police sent agents in plain clothes to surround the house and watch it. It's a detached home and surrounded by walls. 
but their presence has not abated the nuisance of which the tenant complained. There is not now an undamaged pane of glass in the front of the house. A retired commissioner of the police lives over the way. The police watchers refuse to believe that the projectiles could have been discharged from his house. Supposing, they say, there were a malicious person at the ex-commissioner's, it might explain the peculiar breakages of panes, but it would not explain all the other noises. And I'll read a little bit of email I got uh, in the last few weeks. This one's from Aaron, and he sent me a link from Live Science. And a lot of you may have heard of this, but... And archaeologists found what they believe is the oldest ghost drawing discovered on a Babylonian exorcism tablet. A museum curator has discovered the oldest known ghost drawing on a 3,500-year-old ancient Babylonian tablet that also includes instructions for how to exorcise the unwanted spirit. The drawing on a clay tablet depicts a seemingly grumpy, bearded male ghost being led to the underworld on a rope by a woman. But anyway, I'll have a link posted with this episode on anythingghost.com. Thank you, Aaron. And this email's from Marlene in the U.S. Hi Lex, I thought this video might be fun to watch. This is your time of year. I'm sure you have a lot of listeners. Hope all's well. I had another cat die and come through to me. Take care, Marlene. And there's some links about can cats see spirits, angels, and ghosts. And I haven't watched the video yet myself, but if it's pretty good, I'll post it at anythingghost.com, along with this episode, number 287. Okay, that's it for emails and messages. We'll get back into the stories of Anything Ghost. Here's a story from Alicia in Kentwood, Michigan. Residual ghosts on a Florida property. About 20 years ago, when I was married with two young children, we were having our house built. During the building process, my children, husband, and I would go around the property being built and imagine what it was like going to be living in our new house. We moved in and everything was great. My children became acclimated to the neighborhood, playing with kids regularly in the cul-de-sac, leaving me a couple of hours just to kind of enjoy the afternoon until they came home for dinner or until I called them in for dinner. One afternoon while they were playing, I went to the backyard to look around and enjoy the sound of the passing train that ran behind the house. It was summer, and the sun was going down. As I was in the backyard, facing the fence in the direction of the train, I noticed two men walking in the distance. But what was strange was that they were kind of walking above the fence level, maybe four or five feet above the ground, and they were walking in the train route area where gravel would have been. There was no sidewalk. When I began to realize this oddness, I also noticed that they were kind of see-through. As they got closer, I noticed they appeared to be very happy and were dressed in what looked to be white suits, but my mind picked it up as prison garments. They soon got to the point near the fence where there was an opening to the gate. It connected to the front of the house. When they reached that part as they were walking in unison, 
They lifted up and floated over the fence, still engrossed in their conversation, and landed in the backyard about ten feet from me. One man was African-American, with kind of thick, curly, short hair. The other man was white, with kind of blondish brown hair. I could only see them from about the thighs up, and I watched them walking and talking. They seemed so peaceful. I couldn't hear what they were saying, only that they were engrossed in each other's conversation like good friends. The whole thing was very enjoyable to each of them. At that point, I turned around and faced the fence, the direction of the train tracks again, and I saw a third man floating over the fence. This man looked Hispanic. He had smooth black hair, a very short beard, and mustache. Shortly after seeing this, things began to change in the house. There was a rumor going around in our newly built subdivision that it felt like someone was watching you at night. At first I didn't believe it because it was a rumor, but then I noticed it. If I got still, I could feel an increasing heaviness start to build and a feeling of being watched that could not be shaken. It was very uncomfortable, and I just couldn't shake it off and make it go away. It was there. Prior to the incident of the three men who came over the fence, there was a stray cat that used to hang out in our yard. It kind of made our yard its home, and if I neared the cat, it would run off to another yard. After the third man landed in the yard late that afternoon, I didn't see the cat anymore. One day I noticed the fence or gate on the right side of the house had been left open for a couple of days, and when I went to go close it, I saw the stray cat behind the gate, crouched in a corner and shaking. It didn't even run or move. It just stood there, looking and shaking. The house began to feel a little different after that, a little eerie. My then husband would leave out early for work, and when I would get up and get the girls off to school, I would be exiting the bedroom and see a fine mist floating in the doorway. I didn't feel afraid of the mist, I only thought it was strange. I wondered if I had been cooking or left something in the oven because it would be floating there for a few minutes and then would go away. One time the mist filled the area between the family room and the kitchen and just floated there. The mist would frequently be in the doorway when I would come out of the bedroom. A couple of times I got a broom and broke it up and that would make it go away, but it would return. This happened a couple of times. I was in the kitchen with my daughters showing them how to cook. One would be sitting on the counter and my other daughter would be in a chair beside me facing the backyard where we had put up a playground. My daughter then noticed that one of the swings was going back and forth by itself. She told me this and I told her it was probably just the wind blowing. She intelligently said, the trees were not moving. It all culminated one afternoon when the feeling of being watched was so strong and heavy 
as I was in the lanai trying to read. The lanai was frequently where I had this feeling. I tried to push past that feeling and could not, and was finally overcome or pushed into submission by the spirit who had begun to inhabit the house. He appeared on the lanai that afternoon seated in one of the white wicker chairs facing me. I had gone back to the family room because the feeling of being watched was so strong. He was wearing what looked like a black general suit with medals on it. He had on a tall cap with a shiny visor. His feet were crossed at the ankles. His demeanor and position were one of, this is my place. The feeling of authority was so strong from him that I could not deny it. And so to myself, I acknowledged that the space was his. I felt as though I could do no less. A little while later, we moved and our marriage shortly afterward dissolved. Except, whatever was there in that house for a little bit was at my new apartment. One night when I went to bed, I rolled over onto something that felt like an upper body, except it was cold and heavy. Once or twice, the storage door in my bedroom shook, and another time the mattress began to shake. That house was in Florida. It was newly built from the ground up. I later found out that in the late 1800s, there were Spanish soldiers in the area. Imagine this, if you will. The holiday season is upon you. So much to do. You've had a crazy busy day and week, but you're at home at last. And now you're dying for an excellent dinner to start your weekend. You open up your front door and see a HelloFresh meal kit on your doorstep smiling at you. You can't help but smile back because you know within 30 minutes you'll be sitting down and enjoying a chef-curated recipe that will fill your house with the aroma of a restaurant-quality dinner. Personally, I'm pleased as peaches that I signed up with America's number one meal service, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, I'm confident I will have great-tasting, fresh, quick-to-prepare, delicious meals delivered to my home. And the fresh part is important to note here. I bought produce at grocery stores after standing in long lines. That is so sad-looking. But the produce that HelloFresh includes with each box was obviously packed with care. The produce is excellent, and the packaging is made from almost entirely recyclable or already recycled content. In the past, I've told you about some HelloFresh recipes that I've had the pleasure of cooking and eating. The amazingly delicious vegetarian Italian minestrone soup and garlic bread. The aromatic vegetarian chickpea-powered Mediterranean couscous meal. And then there were the sweet potato carnitas that came with a southwestern sauce pack that was out of this world. Each recipe comes with a beautiful, glossy, easy-to-follow recipe card that makes it fun and a snap to put together professional chef-quality meals. If you've been sitting on the fence about trying HelloFresh, now's the time to go for it, because there's a special Anything Ghost offer for you. Go to HelloFresh.com anything14 and use the code anything14 to get up to 14 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com anything14 
and use the code ANYTHING14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And in the beginning, I did a VIP ad, Anything Goes VIP ad, and I mentioned I was going to play a popular Anything Goes story of yesteryear. I know a lot of you old listeners, or long-time listeners, I'm sorry, have have heard this story more than a few times, but anybody that's new out there is about to encounter a wonderful story from Laura in San Francisco. We either call it the Haunted Apartment or Laura's Doppelganger. And for all you longtime listeners, I actually have a bit of news. I reached out to Laura, I think a week or two ago, and she gave me the information about the uh, person who passed away in that place, and I did a little investigative work, and the person did exist. So this is a true story, people. And this is Laura's Haunted Apartment from episode number 42 in 2007 of Anything Ghost. Uh, Here goes. My name is Laura, and I'm from San Francisco. In 1997, I was living in Ithaca, New York, where my mother and my two half-brothers live. Uh, I had been living with a good friend in a two-bedroom apartment, but our schedules didn't really overlap. In mid-September, I decided to find a new place to live. I wasn't making much money at the time, so I decided to move into a very small efficiency studio on the edge of town. It was in a large apartment complex that was probably built in the 1980s. It was new, um, pretty shoddy construction, essentially built as low-income housing. My apartment was on the ground floor. It was basically one large room with a small bathroom and small closet-style kitchenette off to one side. At the back of the room was a large closet with sliding mirror doors on it. It wasn't great, but the price was right. (laughs) I moved in on October 1st, 1997. At first, I really liked having my own space. I had been living with my roommates for so long um, that I really enjoyed coming home to the solitude and the fact that there was no mess or dirty dishes because I'm sort of a neat freak. The only downsides to the apartment, which I noticed right away, were that when I came home after work every day and walked in the door, when the room had been shut up all day, there was a faintly sick, sweet odor. It was like rotting leaves or garbage. Since I'm a very clean person, this frustrated me. I knew there was no garbage and that all the surfaces were clean. I would open the windows and I burned scented candles, which dispelled the smell temporarily. But whenever I came home after being away for a few hours, it was back again. The other thing about the apartment that became more and more of a problem as October gave way to November was that it was very, very cold. I chalk this up to the fact that it was a cheaply built building. It had poor or no insulation, and the carpet was just this thin indoor-outdoor type. The thing was, even in November, when the temperatures were beginning to fall, it, it was often warmer outside than it was in my apartment. I decided that this was because a bad designer had placed the electric heating unit along the wall under the only window in the apartment which meant that all the heat was being sucked right out of the insulated window. This is where the story gets difficult to tell and why I've had to work up the courage to tell it. 
As maybe many of your listeners know, paranormal events seem to happen at times when you're particularly sensitive to them. Between November and December, I began to feel more and more depressed and became more reclusive. This is not like me. I'm pretty outgoing. Though I do enjoy my solitude and my time alone, I like to read and write a lot. Family and friends have always been important to me. But during mid-November of that year, I began to feel a crushing depression. The thing is, I had a history of depression. When I was 15, I had tried to take my own life, and I had been in therapy for many years after that. When my mood and thoughts began to turn darker and more filled with despair, I really thought I was just experiencing another round of a cycle of depression. I knew that eventually it would pass, so I just tried to buckle down and endure this round of it. Around the end of November, beginning of December, a couple of things happened that did not seem strange at the time, but later made a lot of sense. First of all, I had been getting a lot of junk mail, but somehow the companies that were sending me the mail had got my name wrong. The first name and middle initial were correct, and the first part of the last name was right, but the last name was slightly different than mine. I thought that somehow I must have ended up on one of those mass marketing lists somewhere, and they had just typed my name in wrong. The mailboxes for the whole apartment building were on this island in the middle of the parking lot out front. Whenever I walked out there to get my mail, I would wave to this perpetual group of teenagers that hung out in front of the building, gossiping and smoking. I remember thinking what jerks they were, because whenever I came out there, they got quiet and seemed to be waiting for me to leave. When I left, I'd hear them start whispering to each other. But teenagers are teenagers. I just shrugged it off. But it definitely added to this atmosphere of depression and isolation that was weighing more and more heavily on me. A similar thing with the junk mail was happening with telemarketers calling on my phone. This was before the the federal no-call list. And at least twice a week, I was getting calls for someone with my same first name but a slightly different last name. The first two weeks of December, things got worse. My mother and I had had a falling out and she wasn't speaking to me. I think it was over some advice I had given my oldest half-brother and that she had taken issue with. I spent all my free time alone in my apartment, lying in bed and reading. I didn't have a TV. It was so cold that I used an electric blanket for heat, which worked better and cost a lot less than the electric heat in my apartment. I was very down over the fight with my mother, but I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. When my friends came by, I ignored their knocks and pretended I wasn't home. I didn't answer the phone, and I didn't return anyone's calls if they left a message on my machine. That was when I had the first dream, if you can call it that. Even now, comparing it to all the dreams I've had in my life, it's definitely different. I was awake, but I was in that state between awake and asleep where you're still aware of your surroundings but aren't completely alert. That was when I heard a woman say to me, I need your help. I thought to myself, I am dreaming. So I thought back at her, why do you need my help? She answered, I'm stuck here and I can't get out. I remember feeling very, very cold and the most intense kind of black unhappiness I had ever felt in my life. It was the bleakest sensation of being utterly alone and utterly devastated. 
I thought in my head to her again, but how can I help you? She answered, I need you to carry me. I need you to attach myself to you so that you can carry me out of this place. I can't do it on my own. Even in the half-dreaming state I was in, what she said scared the heck out of me. I knew in some part of myself that it would be very bad to say yes to her. But another part of me believed that all of this was just my own imagination and part of my own depression, that I was slipping so far down this time that maybe another part of myself was appealing to me for help, that maybe I was just carrying on a conversation with my own psyche. That was when I decided that I would say yes, because I wanted to help myself. I thought back to the voice, all right, you can do it, I will help you. I slept through that night. When I woke up the next morning, it was snowing. I felt a strange sense of not being really connected to myself, like I was watching myself get up and make coffee, wash my face, etc. I think it was a Sunday. I remember I didn't have to go to work that day. And this is when the story gets really strange and frightens me even now. For some reason, after I drank my morning coffee, I went into my closet and got out a pile of clean white sheets. I had about five or six of them. Standing on a chair, I tacked them to the ceiling with push pins so that they hung down around my room, sort of like artificial walls made out of white sheets. I put them up at right angles to each other so that they formed a kind of tunnel that went from my bed to the front door. Even now, I have no idea what possessed me to do this. It is so completely weird that it's embarrassing to admit even now. After I had tacked up the sheets, I crawled into my bed with a box of cookies. I knew then that I was going to kill myself. The idea just came to me all of a sudden as if it were the obvious solution or just a very simple thing that I needed to do. Just then, my phone rang and the answering machine picked up. It was my mother. She said, honey, please call me. I'm sorry. I'm worried about you. I sat and looked at the phone for a long time, and then I picked it up, and then I put it back down. I got up and got the phone book, and I looked up a suicide prevention hotline, and I called. I talked to the woman on the other end for about an hour. I didn't tell her about any of the weird things that had happened. I really thought that I was losing it, that I had gone crazy. I just wanted to hear the sound of a voice that was not judging me, somebody who didn't know me. After she talked to me for about an hour, she gave me the number of a local sliding scale counseling center and made me give her my word that I would call them as soon as I hung up with her. I did. I made an appointment to see someone the next day. <clears throat> the rest of that day was really difficult for me. I tried to distract myself by cleaning the apartment. While doing so, I discovered something that really scared me. All along the edges of the windows and on parts of the mirrored closet door, I discovered a kind of black mold that had begun to grow. I thought at first it was just discolorations on the mirror or in the wood that framed the windows, but when I looked closer, I realized they had the circular spattered pattern of mold. I had a degree in biology, so I, I knew that it was mold, but I had never seen this kind before. I went to the counseling session the next day, and the woman I spoke to told me that she wanted to work with me twice a week for as long as we needed. I began to talk to her about a lot of secrets and deep troubles that I had been carrying around with me for years. 
I was put on antidepressant medication. Within a few weeks, I was starting to feel better. The atmosphere in my apartment was still bad. I still noticed the smell, but I took down the weird sheets and started spending more time with my friends. My mom and I patched things up. I began to believe that all of the strange events, my strange behavior, and my experience with the woman's voice who asked me to help her had been symptoms of my depression. I was slowly rising back out of the paralysis I had felt. In January, I was on my way across the parking lot toward my apartment one afternoon when the property manager, who was standing on her balcony on the second floor, called out to me and waved me over. We introduced ourselves to each other, and when I told her my name, she looked startled. She asked me a few questions about whether or not I was happy with the apartment or not. I told her it was okay, but it was cold and a little bit lonely. She said, can I ask you a more personal question? I felt a little strange, but I thought, why not? Yes, I said. She said, do you notice anything strange about your apartment, like a funny smell or anything like that? I have to say <laughs> that at that moment, I felt that strange feeling when the hair on the back of your neck stands up. I knew that she was about to tell me something that I both wanted and did not want to know. I told her, yes, that I did sometimes notice a funny smell, but that I kept things very clean and burned candles and that it wasn't too bad, just when I first got home was when I really noticed it. That's good, she said. You just let me know if you need anything. Then she asked me my name again. I told her, and she said something like, that's what I thought you said, but I thought I didn't hear you right. I knew there was something the woman wasn't telling me. For the next month, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about that interaction. I decided that if I ran into her again, I would ask her for more details. On Valentine's Day that year, my dad and stepmother, who live in California, sent me a flower bouquet. They knew I didn't have a boyfriend, and they were just being sweet because they knew I had been down. Since it came in the middle of the day when I was at work, it was delivered to my upstairs neighbors, whom I had never met. Shortly after I came home, there was a knock on my front door. When I answered it, there was a man in his 40s standing there holding uh, the bouquet of flowers in a vase. Are you Laura? he asked. Yes, I said. He gave me the strangest look and then said, these came for you today. I took the flowers, and, but when I went to thank him, he turned away and almost bolted up the stairs. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. 
It was either the next day or a couple of days later that I was leaving my apartment when a little girl who lived in the apartment complex was riding by my door on her big wheel. Since my door was open, she stopped and looked inside. She was about five or six years old. Hi, I said. You can come in if you want. She seemed very curious about the inside of my apartment, but she shook her head and started backing away from the door, pushing with her feet to move her big wheel backward. I went outside and was locking my door behind me, and she was still, still sitting there on her big wheel. She said, did you know the lady that died? I said, what? She said, the lady that died, and pointed at my apartment. A lady died there, I said. She nodded. I squatted down so that I was at eye level with her. When did this happen, I said, but she didn't answer. She looked pretty scared. That's okay, I said. Bye-bye, I'll see you later. I went directly upstairs and knocked on the property manager's door. Look, I said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I need to ask you a question. She looked at me like she knew what I was going to say. A little girl just told me that a woman died in my apartment. Is that true? She looked at me for a few seconds and then she nodded. I didn't want to say anything to you, she said. The rental agency said that I shouldn't say anything. What happened, I said. She committed suicide, she answered. When, I asked. The day after Princess Diana died. I guess she was a huge fan of Princess Diana, and they think her death had something to do with it. Princess Diana died on August 31st, 2007, which was exactly a month before I moved in. The woman went on to tell me that the woman who committed suicide in my apartment was a recluse. She almost never came out of her apartment except to go shopping or when she had to. So they didn't find her body at first. It was my upstairs neighbors that started to notice a bad smell about two weeks later. And that's when they opened it up and found her. The woman told me the following. She said it was really bad. She had been decomposing for two weeks, and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. There was this black mold growing all over everything, the walls and the mirrors. They had to throw everything of hers away because it was covered with black mold. <laughs> Honestly, I was feeling right then the way you probably feel right now listening to this. There is no way this could really be true. I had to have been making this up, but I'm not. Still, some part of me then, even with everything I had been through, didn't believe her. So here's what I did. I went to the Tompkins County Library and looked up the obituaries on microfiche for September of 1997, and I found her obituary. She was a writer from California. I'm from California, and I'm a writer. <laughs> she was 20 years older than me, and her first name, middle, and last initial were the same as mine. With a photocopy of the obituary in my hand, I went to the rental agent's office. I asked her if, if it was true, and she admitted that it was. I asked her why or how she could possibly, in good conscience, have rented an apartment to me when I had almost exactly the same name as the woman who had committed suicide in the apartment only a month before I moved in. She didn't have a good answer, but she was very apologetic and offered to let me move into a different unit right next door. I did, but one month later, I moved out of the apartment complex entirely. I didn't feel like a single wall between the two apartments was enough to really make any difference.
I still don't really understand what happened to me. The circumstances of what happened were so intimately tied up in my own mental state and life that it's impossible for me to believe that this could really have happened to anyone else. It was as if I was meant to move into that apartment. But I'm not a person who simply believes things. The facts have to support the feelings. In this case, the facts are what, are what made what I thought was a severe bout with depression into something I have no other way to describe as also paranormal. I realize this is a very long story. I hope you can share it with your listeners. If you have any doubt as to its truthfulness, I have a copy of Laura's obituary, and I'm happy to scan it and send it to you. Thanks, Lex, and keep up with the podcast. It's great. This is Garrett Husbeth, Brent Dolan, and Al Robber of the Haunted New Jersey podcast. Hey, Al, what are you listening to? I'm listening to Lex Wall's Anything Ghost podcast. Do what we do at Haunted New Jersey and listen to Lex Wall's Anything Ghost podcast for spine-tingling tales of the paranormal from everyday people around the globe. All right, and this is... um, And that last ad there from the Haunted New Jersey podcast was from... 10 or so years ago, so don't go looking it up. It no longer exists, but it was wonderful. It's what got me into podcasting, inspired me. But, okay, so that's it for Anything Ghost number 2... What are we at? 287? And I hope you enjoyed Laura's story there at the end, if you're a new listener. And if you're not a new listener, I hope you enjoyed that information about verifying the existence of that person in Laura's story. And thanks, everybody, for all your stories. It was a great time. So we have the December episode coming up next. If you have a story you want to share, send it to Lex at AnythingGhost.com, or there's a form you can fill out at AnythingGhost.com. Record it yourself, like Signy did this time, or type it up and send it to Lex at AnythingGhost.com, or fill out the form. Hey, that's it. So I'll talk to you in show number 288 of Anything Ghost. Until then... If you're in the U.S., have a nice Thanksgiving, and everywhere everywhere else, please have a wonderful month of November, and take care.